This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's a very important distinction that's very subtle and uh, and is, I think, integral to the content we produce is the people that are are playing are as important as the characters in the story. And they both have to coexist in a story at the same time. The play, not only the player's real life in some cases, but also how the player feels about the story or is reacting yeah. to the story should be part of the game because that's how it is when you play. This interview was not only fun, but it pulls back the curtain on one of the largest RPG media companies in the business, the Glass Cannon. Joe O'Brien and I talk about the origins of the network and the path it took to their current success. Not only is Joe a great guest, but you're going to find out he's also a great guy. A quick shout out to our newest patrons, Sam Ius, Peter Thomas, William Payne, Isaac Turton, A.S., and Eli Greeson. Because of them and the 100 plus other patrons, we keep putting out quality content here on Twitch and on YouTube. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Joe. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? Greetings, friends and floorheads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we're talking to the Chief Operating Officer and one of the founders of the Glass Cannon Network, Joe O'Brien. The Glass Cannon Network started as a podcast and has blown up into an entire RPG network with podcasts, live streams on Twitch, live events, and YouTube videos. Now you, my listeners, know how picky I am about RPG actual plays. Uh, GCN consistently puts out top quality plays featuring many, many games, great GMs and outstanding casts. Now, if you watch the stream of blood with friend of the show, Jared Logan, you have seen Joe play blades in the dark, which is a favorite of ours here on the third floor. So Joe, welcome to the third floor. Thank you so much. I didn't realize you were uh, you were watching uh, Blades over there. That's, that's great. Well, you know, what's funny, Joe, is um, I've had several people say, you got to check out Glass Cannon. You got to check out Glass Cannon. And I wasn't a big Pathfinder guy. So at the time, I would, you know, I'd look and I would watch a little bit of it. I'm like, Jesus, these guys are really good. But I didn't really watch. Right. Because I, I wasn't mm-hmm. my game. Um, right. But I'm a big Blades in the Dark guy. So I find I find Jared. And he just is so good at running the game, right? And and so really, it was my first introduction to you and Troy was watching you on Stream of Blood, which is crazy because, you know, you guys have been a big deal for a while now. I'm just slow (laughs) to the punch. but. (laughs) 
Well, if Pathfinder wasn't your jam, what what is your jam? I mean, is Blades representative of the kind of game you like the best, or? Uh, I I don't feel comfortable with that. So I've got a kind of a weird story. So I'm an old dude, right? So I'm almost fifty years old now, and I first played in high school and college, like a lot of people, and then come about like second year college, kind of the game fell apart, and I get a job after that, and you know, twenty years go by, right? right? Um, yeah. and the COVID hits. And I'm like, you know what I fucking miss? I miss role-playing, like, a lot. So what I've been doing on this podcast is kind of figuring out the last 20 years. Because when I left, there was, like, GURPS, Champions, and D&D, right? I come back, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, what the hell is going on right now? Like, holy <laughs> shit. like explosion. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't have to go to the underpass and, like, go, hey, man, do you know anybody playing D&D? Like, I'd like to get in on a game, you know? It's like, <laughs> people wear t-shirts, for Christ's sake, that have Dungeons and Dragons on it. So, um, you know, and actual plays were all new to me and stuff. So, to answer your question, um, I do love Blades, but um, I've been getting a lot of mileage out of the Free League stuff. So, uh, Forbidden oh, Lands, yeah. uh, Aliens, mm -hmm. all that stuff. I think that they're putting out some great stuff. There's some PBTA games that I've been really enjoying. Um, um, Savage Worlds I've been enjoying, um, both the Deadlands setting and then the Rift setting. So there's, um, and horror just in general. So I just start found uh, Robin Laws's Fear Itself, which is- I'm not a, familiar. Oh, real interesting. I don't know if you've ever done any gumshoe games, um, but it's one of those gumshoe games where Robert Laws had a big innovation in how investigation's happening in RPGs. Uh, it's a real interesting system. I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a link to it. Awesome. Um, but it basically, it's in my opinion, it's the best- best game to run a horror movie in so the horror movie where you've got a bunch of schmoes that do a dump bunch of dumb shit and end up dying like that's the game <laughs> you know which is great <laughs> so, that is great that um, awesome. it perfectly captures it but let's get back to you joe enough about me people are tired of hearing it from me anyway <laughs> so there was a day joe where you had no idea you could roll dice look at a piece of paper and pretend to be somebody else and then all of a sudden it was put in front of you so can we do your origin story when you found gaming yeah absolutely i was in middle school uh and a good buddy of mine who is still a real close friend and a, a close friend of the network. Uh, he's done some content with us. Uh, his name is Brian and he, he oh, and I no grew kidding. up together and he, uh, his dad was into it. So like, I feel like a lot of times this kind of stuff gets passed on from parents yeah. and uh, my parents just were not, were not into it. Uh, they were more sports oriented and stuff like that. And so, I, I, his dad passed on to uh, him, my buddy and his older brother, D and D when that had first come out. And so that's what I started with as, as a kid, I would go over and I would play D and D in my friend's older brother's friends, like attic with these kids that were, I don't know, you know, what they were like probably 14 and I was like 11. So they seemed like they were 30 and they were <laughs> so foul and so funny. And I just, I was like, this is the most fun I have ever had. <laughs> and like, I really liked sports. I liked playing basketball and I liked playing roller hockey and shit like that. And I just was completely blown away by the creativity and the comedy is really Isn't what that stood funny? out. And uh, it sucked me in completely. And I got way into it with my buddies. And um, But very similar to you. I let the hobby go in college. Uh, in fact, by the end of high school, it was pretty much over for me. I yeah. never played it in college. I never even came across anybody that played it. 
And I didn't pick it up again until I was in my late 20s in New York. And I met uh, Skid Marr from the Glass yep. Cannon Network, who uh, was just a friend of a friend. Uh, and no shit. we had dinner and yeah, he was just, uh, he said he was in a, a Pathfinder game. And I was like, what's Pathfinder? He's like, ah, it's like D&D. And I, and I said, you're in a D&D game? Like, you're a grown-ass man. What are you talking you said about? it out loud. Right, exactly. I was like, people are playing D&D here? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And it was funny. He sort of came across it in a similar way in New York in that he had to, he like was at a bar and just happened to see people playing at a bar and just went up and introduced himself to them. And like, That's that was the only way he got uh, into the hobby in New York. And so... From there, it was just a runaway train. I mean, I just started playing all the time, and it became my my favorite hobby uh, in New York as soon as I could get out of work. And oftentimes when I was in work, all I did was prepare <laughs> games and write characters, uh, et cetera. <laughs> so, um, like, was was it like riding a bike for you, Joe? Or did you envision or come across a similar, like, the gap? Like, I left the hobby in one condition, right, and, and played mm -hmm. a certain game a certain way, and then you come as an adult and encounter a new group, a new game, and I would be curious to know how the two compared to each other for you. You know, it was funny. When I first came back in, I, I, that was my introduction to it, but I didn't really play it so much because I couldn't actually get in Skid's game right away. Oh, wow. So I ended up playing a little D&D 4th edition first, uh, and that was that was fine. And in fact, it was great. Everything that people hate about 4E is sort of exactly what helped me get back in because it was very streamlined and it used yep. all the words that I remembered, but I didn't remember it acting like that at all. I was like, this does not feel like it used to feel, but it's very easy for me to pick up and play. And so I started a small group and started playing with some buddies and I uh, got people into it that had never played before ever in their lives. And it was when I started to get into Pathfinder and reading Pathfinder, I was like, Oh, That's familiar. this is all reminding me of yeah. 2E, of, of AD&D 2nd Edition. Then I started really seeing the similarities in, in how it all... Now, I never played 3.5, and so the way that that worked, uh, I also had to learn through Pathfinder. But this, you know, the way that casters work versus the way that, that uh, martial characters work, that's what I remember it feeling like growing up, as opposed to 4E, where they really just felt the same. It was just kind of like yeah. reskinned. Uh, whereas this felt a lot more uh, like what I was used to. And so then I brought that to the 4E group, uh, two of which had played when they were kids and they were like, oh, this is what it used to be like. And so we immediately <laughs> made uh, the switch over and I actually ported a 4E game that we were already in at third level over to the second book of a Pathfinder AP. And I just made those stories like intersect and, uh, and then just took it from there. And we ended up doing the whole AP. So it was, uh, it was a great group and that's really how I got started. Oh, that's cool. So um, obviously we're going to get into the origin story of, of the network here in a second, but I'd be curious, like going up to that point. So you're playing Pathfinder. I assume you got into Skid's game at some point. Um, mm -hmm. Someone yeah. died, something like that. <laughs> yes, but it was also very short lived because that's the other thing is like the beauty and preciousness of a group that is fun to play with and lasts long cannot be overstated it no. is such a rare and beautiful thing and so i got into that game and it was maybe two or three sessions before there was a massive fight between oh the gm God. and a player who I, I didn't know either of them really at all at that point and it was super awkward and then these really long apology letters were written written by these wow you know 30 something year old men and then it just like fizzled and and 
and I was like, Skid, why don't you come and play in my 4E game? <laughs> no so, kidding. Uh, yeah, so he came over and played, and then uh, we never looked back. So I, I only played with that group like three times or something oh, like that. <laughs> but <laughs> apparently brought some bad juju with you. <laughs> well, I, apparently it was building up long before I got there, Craig. And I don't like what you're implying there, sir. <laughs> that is something, though. It. Um, I recently had uh, I, uh, not a similar situation, but kind of my first conflict at a table, you know, haven't been, haven't hadn't played for a long time. And it is, it's something that's unique about this hobby. Like we, we give a shit, like we care, right? Like, like, like I don't have arguments like that at work. <laughs> I'm working with, <laughs> right. you know, fortune 50 companies and talking to C-level people. And, you know, we get, we get along great, but man, you, you want to argue about whether that encounter was fair or not, then that we're right, going to go. Exactly. Whether this is really cover or not, you know, exactly. I mean, oh, it's so funny. I can't it? see around that door. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite phrase wait a minute you said that the right you know right like, son exactly. of a bitch <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> uh, it, it is it's it's it can be really tough the uh, the the drama the intensity of the game it's it, we're passionate we're passionate yep. but it, it also leads to uh so uh, another one uh, another story i can tell you is right in those formative days in new york i couldn't get into that other group uh i had this the other the 40 group wasn't really up and running yet but I was itching, you know, I had got yeah. bitten by the bug and I was itching and I was like, I'm going to look for like, like uh, organized play games. I didn't even know that term at that time. I was just going right. like random games in New York that you can just like show up and like, like pick up games. And it turns out here's organized play. Right. And so I did actually end up doing one Pathfinder organized play uh, at some point during these early months of getting into it. And uh, I went to a bodega in Manhattan and <laughs> sat around with like five people I'd never met. And there were like three other tables. And I just brought along my level one rogue and just sat down. And uh, it was so awkward, you know, because oh. it's just like you don't know anybody. And yep. like the GM was like very antisocial. And like the, uh, the one of the players was very intense about all the rules and everything. And I was just like, and I, you know, I looked over at another table and they were just laughing and having a great time. You know what I mean? I, I just sort of was like, I had table envy. I was like, I wish I was at that table. They look like they're having a good time. Uh, but I, I didn't do it again. I did it one time and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good on that. Uh, I need to find people that are friends of mine that I can play with, you know, because it is such a sensitive hobby. You really got to exactly. like stick with people, you know, I feel like. Well, and we all play it a little bit different, right? And and sometimes it gels and sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, it does sound like that was an awful table. Though, based on what you said, you didn't sell it, Joe. You didn't sell it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough. Might have been an off night at the old Pathfinder Society on 33rd Street in Manhattan. But Oh, that's funny. So, guys, the Insider Insight series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations that's what we're going to do with Joe today. So we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to talk about the Glass Cannon Network and how the hell that started. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
You like science fiction, right? You love playing games, maybe even role-playing games. But what if you can't get your friends together for a game night? If you love games like Mothership or Orbital Blues, check out Dead Belt, a card-based space western solo strategy RPG about skillful and desperate scavengers picking over the remains of junked starships in hopes of a juicy payday. In it, you deal with lurking dangers, push your luck, and walk away with enough cred to keep on flying. Of course, you might get eaten by lurking aliens, or run afoul of rival scavengers, or face the murderous ghosts of long-dead spacers. <laughs> no one said life in the dead belt was going to be easy. For more information on this and all of Sean and Abby Drake's games, swing over to a acoupleofdrakes.com. The link's in the show notes. So you hear me talk to Joe, you know, about how I kind of found found Joe and um, the, the network itself, which, um, you know, was a big deal, obviously, before I found it a much bigger deal. But I want to go all the way back, Joe. So let's let's now fill the gap. And I would like if I'm at the Glass Cannon Network Museum. Right. And I go to the first exhibit and I see the <laughs> origins, the seed, the first time like somebody somebody said something to somebody. I want to I want to go there. <laughs> Oh, man. Amazing. Uh, yeah, so it would probably be, geez, uh, if memory serves, I think it was a car. I think we were in a car. Uh, so, yeah, you'd, you'd probably see a, a replica of like a, a <laughs> white Ford Explorer. So I can't remember which one I had. Uh, or Toyota. You had some sort of small uh, Toyota SUV. Anyway, we were driving, I want to say, to PAX East uh, up to oh, Boston wow. together. Uh, and I could be mixing stories, but it's something along those lines. Um, and he was he pitched, you know, turning our game in, into a podcast. Um, we had both done podcasts. I had done a gaming podcast and he had done a uh, craft beer podcast um and neither of them really took off his and they lasted a similar length like roughly 12 to 15 episodes something right. like that um and we had been friends for a while and we had been playing in a campaign together for a while with skid and with my buddy brian who i grew up with so uh that group took a little while to really form it evolved in an interesting way but then it was formed and it stayed solid for about two years and so uh, those first moments were Troy saying, well, why don't we do a podcast about this? Because part of it was we both had done podcasts that were a lot of work and were things that we weren't doing anyway. And the idea here was like, we need to record something that we're going to be doing anyway, right. because then it won't seem like a hassle as you get into more and more, uh, you know, like I, I can't even imagine, like I could kick it back to you just as easily in the sense of like, especially when we get into the operations of it is like, I would never wish on anybody what you're doing right now, which is like booking interviews, like yeah. getting guests week in and week out for a podcast. It's a lot of work it is, and it's yeah. very frustrating. And so I was like, I'm never doing that again. So we said, uh, all right, let's look into just recording our game. So that was where it started. I still remember being in the car with them and just looking online at Paizo APs and just going through, I believe, um, 
Iron Gods had had, had just completed and uh, Giant Slayer was about to come out. I think that's the timing of it. And I was like, this Iron Gods, it ah, doesn't interest me that much. You know, maybe this. And we were just talking through and just getting excited. And really, I think all it really was, was the excitement of just starting a new AP. It wasn't like we were going to start a, a, a business. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't the tone at all. It was really just we, we just wanted an excuse to play another game. And uh, and Troy was ready to do some more GMing uh, of something a little different, and he wanted to record it. So uh, and and you see that over the course of the network, you see the amount of new content that comes out uh, is so frequent, and it really comes from a base of especially Troy. He just always wants something new, always wants yeah. something new, and uh, that's the way it was before too. So even yep. though we were already in two campaigns, one that he was playing <laughs> and one that he was running, he wanted to add another one to to the mix, and so we got we got geeked up about it. We we're like, well, we got to bring in Skid because he's amazing, and uh, he was in both of those other games that we played. Uh, but other than that, the other people that we were playing with either weren't in New York or didn't quite fit for what we were looking for, and so uh, we said so we got to find two more people. And so right at that time, we started talking about, you know, who it could be. And uh, we we settled you know pretty quickly on Matthew and Grant, who uh, Matthew is a, a friend of my wife's who. So my uh, Matthew's wife and my wife worked together for several years at a theater in Manhattan. And then um, I had only met Matthew a few times, but he was, uh, you know, he had that that nerdy sci-fi fantasy. He was into it. He loved those books. He loved that writing. He loved those movies. He loved those stories. And he liked board games, but he had never oh, played RPGs. Wow. He had never played an RPG in his life. And so I was like, this guy might be, you know, the perfect mix here. And maybe he can play the role of like the new guy. So that we right. have somebody to teach the rules to, uh, because Craig, we know all the rules inside <laughs> yeah, <right>. and out. <laughs> we don't make rule mistakes, but you know, Matthew, we needed right. to, to get up to speed. And then uh, Grant, I had played with once guesting in skids. He was running Rise of the Rune Lords and I met Grant. So um, if memory serves, I suggested Grant. It could have been Skid and I together, whatever it was. Uh, I said to Troy, yeah, I played with Grant and uh, I liked Grant and he really brought a serious passion to it. And that's what you that's what you're looking for, because you're looking to put together the, a show. Right. So right. at that point, we weren't just looking for great players. We were looking for people that could put on a show. And Grant had a lot of energy. And Matthew was, uh, he was studying to be a pro professional playwright, you know, so he knew characterization, he knew new drama, story. he knew yeah. pace, he knew all that kind of stuff. And so we put this little group together and we had no real session zero. Everybody just sort of emailed their character ideas directly to Troy. None of us knew who the characters were when we first sat down. Wow. We booked a date, we got to my apartment and we just hit record and started playing. Like it was really very, very raw. And uh, we barely, I mean, we knew each other, but we had barely ever played together before. And the five of us certainly as one group had never played before we hit record on that first episode. Wow. So, yeah. So that was how it started. And it really is a, and I said this, uh, I remember we were in Chicago in 2019 doing a show and it was right when I was able to leave my job to do this full time. And I, and I just said, it is a, I had to, I thanked each one of them individually because I was like, it's, it's a testament to who each of you guys are as people yeah. that that random like mix of guys that just sort of didn't really know each other and started recording a raw episode one could not only keep 
a Pathfinder game going for <laughs> that's five the miracle. years. <laughs> yeah, that's the largest miracle. Uh, but could also go through the the tumultuous times of uh, monetizing and making it a business. Uh, and so that that was not all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> it's, you know, I bet. it's it's a lot of hard work, and and uh, it, it couldn't have happened with any other group. So I'm I'm very thankful for that. So I'd be curious, Joe, um, you know, it's one thing to say, all right, let's hit record. Let's just do this first episode and let's see how it goes. Right. And then, and then I would imagine you're four or five, six sessions in four or five, six episodes in at that point. Was there a point where you guys come together and go, OK, let's let's take a look at what we're doing here. Let's let's make some little changes. Maybe our goals are changing or did it just kind of how you recorded, how you played, how you produced content early on, was that just all organic or were there any points where somebody said, Hey guys, I think we should do more of this, less of this, or have we thought about this? Early on, I, I was a big proponent of uh, the teases, for example, in every episode, we did a tease of that upcoming episode. I was working in that business at the time. I was working in the promotion business in on television. So like when you saw promos for shows, yep. that was just I was in that business. And I knew how big at that time uh, promos were, especially in reality TV for like getting you to stick around, right? Because you know something great's going to happen. And I was like, who's going to listen to this? Nobody knows who we are. Actual plays are barely on the radar right now. People are just going to think it's super boring just listening to our game. And so <laughs> I think that we need to get them. Uh, they need to know that at some point in this episode, there's going to be huge laughs. You know, that was really the main thing. It's like a right. huge gut busting laugh is coming. You just got to you just got to put in the time for it. Um, it. It also comes out of our love of uh, at the time. I really loved the um, the ESPN uh, fantasy football podcast. And they did. They would promo a couple of the funny lines that were going right. to come up in that hour. So I was like, I want to do that. And then uh, we talked about doing intros uh, separately from the actual recording of the episode so that our episodes could be non topical which means we could record them in advance. So let's not drop too many current events, uh, which also gives us the blessing of staying out of current events, which right. I love avoiding in a game like that when you're in the fantasy world. It's like, let's just play in yep. this fantasy world. But if we want to talk about things that are going on or things that the Glass Cannon is doing or promo for ourselves or whatever, we can put it in an intro at the top. So that was sort of the basis of the idea. And we actually recorded... 16 episodes before any aired smart so we recorded 16 and nothing really changed that much i can tell you the first day we knew we had something <laughs> the first day we recorded i think four episodes the first four episodes and we were just absolutely we had so so much fun it was just no one shit. of those things where like that was a great session can't wait to do it again emails pinging back and forth that oh, was amazing cool. can't wait to, to do it again so then, uh, you know, the rest sort of becomes a blur as we start booking, you know, once a week or once every two weeks and we're just getting together and start banging out episodes. And really a lot of the delay was me saying, I want to wait until we're really ready to release, meaning we got logos in order. We've got a, a launch <laughs> plan in order. We have a strategy, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it sounds like you were taking it serious right from go, Joe. Like it, this wasn't just a we're going to goof around like it, you were you're thinking about this. Yeah, you know, I, I would say I was thinking more about how it's presented and the release yeah. more than I was thinking about uh, the game. When I was in the game, I was just playing the game. Right. Uh, and that would change over time. But when I was first playing, I was playing like no one was listening. And I, yep. I really because I really didn't think many people would listen. But that's no reason to half ass the yep. 
the launch of it or the promotion of it in the way that you approach it. So, you know, let's put our best foot forward. Let's put a lot of work into making this sound great, you know? And so that was, that was another element to it was getting the recording equipment. I stole stuff from my work. <laughs> That's like, awesome. I, uh, I Grant did the same thing. You know, he borrowed things from work and, and we all just sort of pieced together and chipped in to get the bare minimum of what I and Grant at that point, who I didn't even know was in audio and video, what we thought we needed to make this sound right, which at the bare minimum was five microphones and a mixing board as opposed to one microphone, which was the initial plan. I'm like, no, we, we, can't, we can't do that. And so we got all that together and got going. And it wasn't until we launched that, uh, you know, you realize you start pushing it out everywhere. And within, you know, within a matter of weeks, I mean, it might have been five or six weeks, which in our case was about nine episodes released, uh, we started to see that there were messages from people we didn't know, like whether that was ratings or whatever we were, we came up on the iTunes new and noteworthy. So that was a, wow. a really fun thing so that people could click on us that didn't know us. Yeah. And then we started getting feedback from people. And then that's when it was like, okay, so people were like, like this, don't like that like this, don't like that. And we're like, okay, well, some of these we agree with, some of them we don't agree with, but the, but the, this is episode nine. We've still got seven weeks of stuff that was done the old way before yeah. they're going to see some of these changes taking place. And so, uh, yeah, we definitely got to a point in those early days when, when we started getting feedback from people that we were like, okay, you know, maybe we want to change this a little bit or that a little bit. And that's why I look back and I see, oh, this is why people do pilots. You know what I mean? They do one right. episode and then they show it to a, a hidden audience, right? Yeah. It's not published yet, but they get people's feedback and then they can see, you know, outside of their realm, what they want to do. In hindsight, of course, those 16 episodes go by so fast uh, <laughs> yeah. that it's just like, boom, and it was over. But for us, it was an entire summer before like the, the summer was over and people started to hear the newer stuff. We started to get better at producing the sound content. Thank you to Sirenscape for all of that, all of the background audio and the music. And the. Uh, I, I wasn't very good at it to start because I didn't really know how the program worked. But then I started making breakthroughs and that didn't happen until after 16 episodes. And yeah, and so things started to shift a little bit uh, from that point. And then yeah, if you fast forward a longer time, you start to get into when a lot of people are listening to it, uh, which is obviously a huge blessing and such a great thing. You start to get into questioning more of nitpicking every little thing right. about what you do, not only the presentation of the show, which means the teases that I had come up with come into question. The intros that we do, some people love them, some people hate them. Do more people hate them than love them? Are they just taking away from the time of the show, et cetera? Uh, all those things come into question and you have to make decisions. Then within the game, it's, is this, um, you know, is this storyline boring? Is this character exciting? Is this, was this choice in this moment hated by everyone? You know, wow, and you start dude. getting that feedback all the time. Yeah. And it feels like, your, your your own game is under a microscope. Your own home game is under a microscope, uh, and it you want you don't want it to affect you too much. It's interesting. Yeah. So, at what point? And maybe it didn't happen, but it sounds like at some point the show impacts the play, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, how you play changed. Um, and I would assume it wasn't in the first sixteen episodes, maybe, but um. Like maybe here's here's another way to put it, Joe. Uh, do you remember um, a piece of feedback that you guys got on early on that um, really was like blew your mind and and that you can remember as as changing how you did things? 
Um, do you remember anything that you heard um, and just went, oh, wow? Yeah, I can, I can remember one small thing, uh, which was people, which was so shocking to me, people didn't know who was who, right? Whose voice was who. <laughs> sure. And I'm like, how did I never think of this? And so when people would just say, uh, roll for initiative, yeah, I got a 20, I got an 18, I got 17. Nobody knew who that was. And so I remember an early bit of feedback being, you know, could you please say uh, Baron got a 16, uh, Lork got a 10, you know, just keep reinforcing what your, your character so that we can get to know your voice, you know. And after a while, obviously, it's like, you know, all of their voices inside out. But early on, people would say that we all sound exactly the same. And I would say, what are you talking about? But you just in that audio medium, you just need yeah. some time to, to get used to it. But um, yeah, I forget what I was going to start that with, but um, you had said that there was something about the had it play did, changed. Oh, how did it change the game? Like the, the game that we played? Yeah, for for a long time there, it um, it didn't change it. Actually, it hasn't changed that much. And, and I'll tell you why, because right out of the gate, the showmanship was a huge part of it. We knew we were doing a show. We had spoken. I mean, and I was a big proponent of this out of the gate was. I am not trying to necessarily give you a hidden microphone into my home game. So that means that uh, I'm trying to do a show. So right. what I want to do is I want to cut out unnecessary healing, shopping, you know, uh, housekeeping. Let's do this kind of stuff off air, selling items, you know, managing the gold and all that kind of stuff. Um I'm not trying to, to show you the duller parts of the game, even though they're an important part of the game and I've never minded them at home games. I love them. Right. But I was like, I just want it to be action, action, action. Now, pacing is important. You can't always have action. You know, having that flow is good. And over the years, I think we've gotten a little bit more comfortable with downtime because we've gotten better at performing during downtime. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is that it changed the game for me right from the start because I started, I did a voice. And I played my character, which I had never done before. Isn't that something? So in my other two campaigns, I just always thought like I just was uncomfortable. Like, Isn't that funny? Talking like this and I am a character now. I'd be like, what kind of loser does that? I would just say, here's what my guy says, blah, 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 blah. But for the show, I made a conscientious decision. I was going to do this uh, or conscious decision, I should say, that I'm going to do this and I'm going to commit to it and I'm not going to be very good at it, but like <laughs> I want to differentiate my voice from the character's voice. And uh, and sure enough, it was great. And this is what I always try to tell people is like, I was terrible, terrible, my voice. <laughs> and all it did is create great comedy. You know what I mean? Like people just laughed at it and and it it made everything more fun. It only made everything more fun. And I am the kind of guy, I'm not the kind of guy that's impervious to embarrassment. Like I, I get embarrassed. I hate it when people like see my faults and foibles and whatever. Um, but in that case, I'm like, well, look at the greater good here. You know, yep. you are, you're, di and over time, it then wasn't funny anymore and just became part of the game. And you could tell that distinct difference between character play and breaking the fourth wall and being a player or a personality. It's a very important distinction that's very subtle and uh, and is, I think, integral to the content we produce is the people that are, are playing are as important as the characters in the story, and they both have to coexist in a story at the same time. The play, Not only the player's real life in some cases, but also how the player feels about the story or is reacting yeah. to the story should be part of the game because that's how it is when you play. Um, 
so yeah, those two things were really decisions we made at the top that that have never changed, uh, and I'm I'm really happy that we did that right out of the gate. So w- w- typically with this type of thing, when you look at growth, right? If so, if we were to chart audience f- for you guys, um, typically there's you know it, it's a rise, right? If you're pr- if you're producing good stuff, you're building an audience over time, word of mouth, so on and so forth. But a lot of times there's spikes where you just you know you just go out there and scoop up a whole new group and a whole new audience. Do you remember kind of the first time that that happened where suddenly you're like, whoa, like what the hell's going on? Um, Was there a breakthrough for you guys? And do you understand where it came from or was it just steady the whole time? Um, There's one I can think of in particular, which was, I want to say maybe five months in five or six months in there was a a listener who put a post on uh, um I'm always so embarrassed and old when I do this. Is it, is it Imger? Imger? I don't know which one it is. Oh, no, yes. Imger. Uh, they put a post up there and it was something like the five best podcasts you've never heard of or something like that. And we were number one. Wow. And it got, I mean, within a couple of days, it had, I think, like 150,000 hits or something because they track Holy it on Imger. And I was just like, whoa, like that is what some, you know, somebody sent me a link. I can't remember if it was Troy's like, look at this, sent me a link. And um, we definitely saw a spike from there. And then it just never looked back. And we just sort of like kept slowly growing. Then we got uh, we got a mention in Forbes and like one of their gaming things. <laughs> God, we got amazing. a mention on Geek and Sundry did an article where we were mentioned as a as a really great podcast. And so each of those have helped along the way. But but overall, yeah, after that, it's been pretty it's just steady. It's pretty predictable and steady. So what what was next, Joe? So when does it become more than just a podcast? And when was that decision made? When was it live you, shows? Was when it- you can make money, you know, money is the the be all end all because it yep. just differentiates everything. It changes the dynamic of everything. As soon as you're being paid to do something, there's a very different feel uh, to it, both in um, your responsibility to do it right uh, and your responsibility to give the value that you uh, take from other people, and then also in the um uh, you know just just the dynamic within the the uh the group you know uh once money enters in things get complicated and that's just a a tale as old as money so (laughs) that was really the 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 breaking point or the changing point and that came conversations came roughly 18 months into the project well yeah let's say roughly 18 months into the project that's incredible was the first time it was ever discussed um it was discussed you know in that like if advertisers came out of the woodwork like demanding to be on our show we'd do it but we weren't going to go seeking advertisements because we we hated commercials in our shows and we didn't want to go down that route and luckily no one ever came to us to advertise (laughs) on the show so it really wasn't a problem Problem solved Uh, problem solved but what did happen is people would say, why don't you have a Patreon or why don't you have a, a Kickstarter or something? Uh, because uh, please take my money. You know, there are a lot of really generous people out there that consume content in a very fair and value exchange way that re- really don't like getting content totally for free. If the people they, they know that are making it uh, are doing day jobs and stuff like that, they're like, come on you need to take some money for this. Please take some of my money. I feel bad listening to your show without yeah. paying, which is very nice and obviously represents a, a fraction of, you know, the overall audience. And that's just, um, 
that's just metrics, right? It's just a small portion. But over time, there was enough people that we said, okay, should we, should we think about doing this? Um, and my main concerns were, okay, we got five guys here. So it's like, how is this all going to split out? And yeah. then there's also the issue of, for me, I'm just such a, a, a psycho like uh, rule follower that I I want to know exactly what we have to do to make sure that like our taxes are in order and we're not surprisingly going to owe something we didn't realize we owe and that uh, if we take this money, it's not considered this or that or whatever. So, oh, and also I have a day job at this time. And now this can be my hobby as long as it's just my hobby. But as soon as it's like public knowledge that I'm getting money for this side gig, well, how does that affect my employment? You know, at a company that is very public, that deals in the performance space. I worked with several actors. It was, you know, I, I was a uh, talent agent for 15 years in New York. And so it was just very like, you know, I don't want to be. Uh, disingenuous about like where my focus is, you know, I, my focus is on their career right now. And this is just a side thing. As soon as you start making money, it's going to be much bigger part of your life. And you have to be careful how you balance it. So all of those considerations went in. And we took from the time we started talking about it, it was about eight months until we launched a Patreon. So we started talking about it, we started coming up with a strategy. We uh, worked out our, our our Patreon strategy, how we wanted to approach it. And that was all sort of based on Patreon was very new at that point, but it was all based on what other pages were doing well. And we were looking at how they did their stuff and how they structured everything. We uh, didn't know wh where it would go or how much it would be. And we wrote a little contract among friends that said this, that and the other thing. And uh, we put it all in writing and we uh, we did a bank account and we said, you know, whatever money comes in for Patreon will go into this bank account that uh, won't be touched by anybody until we hit X amount and we can start learning how to divvy up this money. But for the time being, it'll just sit in a bank account. And so we launched the Patreon and it was way more successful than I anticipated. Troy would come on here and tell you it was exactly what he thought. Like, <laughs> and, uh, but I'll tell you, it couldn't have been exactly what he thought because he signed that contract that said, you know, we had to wait until we got to X amount to use any of this money. And we got to that amount far quicker than we had estimated on the contract. So, um, that was really exciting. And we didn't realize at the time how many supporters we had out there. And that coincided with our first live show which we did at a game store in Queens uh, in our neighborhood <laughs> that uh, we went over there. We, we negotiated with them. You know, can we put some chairs in here, move out the magic tables, put yeah. in some chairs to put on a little stage. And uh, they were like, yeah, this would be great. Let's do it. And uh, they didn't charge us anything. We just had to uh, basically everybody paid and they all got gift cards to the store for a small amount. And that just incentivized people buying stuff. That was it. That was all we had to do. And then we planned a little after party across the street at uh, my, my literally my local bar for 10 years in, in Manhattan or in uh, Queens. And so um, we go to this, we, we put the tickets on sale and it's just a blur. They just sell out like immediately. No shit. 40, 40 tickets to sell out immediately. We're like, Oh my God, this is really <laughs> exciting. Uh, and then we come to find out day of show. I can't remember if it was before the show, but we find out that, uh, you know, people flew in. People came from Hawaii. People came from California and Portland, Oregon for the, for the show. We, we couldn't believe it. And uh, I'll still, I, I'll never forget. We got in there. 
and we were getting set up and they had people outside and there was a line outside. They were like, people are lining up outside. I'm like, what? You must amazing. be losing well, your goddamn mind. I know. I know. It's <laughs> wild. And we are, we're literally plugging into an amp. We like borrowed from Nick Lowe or something like that to just like get some, some audio out there. And we, uh, you know, we have our mics that we're just running. We got these cheap handheld mics that we're going to use. And uh, we, we were, this line is outside and we forgot something. There was something we forgot. I can't remember what it was, but I had to run out, get in my car, drive to my apartment, get this thing and get back fast. You know, about a five, seven minute drive. And I ran out of the store and there's this whole line of people on the street. And Kel Beeler just like, Joe Bryan. And I was just like, what? And I just turned to look and they're like, Woo! like people Isn't are clapping and stuff. And I was just like, I can't believe that they even know what I <laughs> Like, like right. I, you know what I mean? Like, at this point, we didn't have much of a web page at all. We didn't really have much of an online presence. I had no real Twitter. You know, it was just, it was shocking to me. And, um, and I was really, uh, I was just so excited and, and yeah. thrilled to know. And then the best part of it was after the show, and we had a great time. We went over to that after party, and that was that was really to me the most remarkable change in the history of our of yeah. our network because it was the first time we met listeners that we didn't already know beforehand and they were so cool and so kind and so effusive about our show and what it means to them and uh it was one of the greatest nights of my life i mean we had so much fun just talking to all these people getting their life experiences and then hearing all about uh their favorite parts of the show in person it was just it was remarkable and amazing and it's something that we try to recreate at every live show we go to now because we do after parties and we uh right in the venue and we uh you know it has to be limited because you can only have so many people but uh you come in and hang out afterwards and we just get to know you and uh, we'll have a beer together and talk and and that's sort of our favorite part of of getting to know you know the the yep. niche as we call ourselves the the glass cannon nation the niche and i just find that it's such a crossbreed of great uh, like-minded people, uh, you know, tolerant and, uh, inviting and welcoming people that are, uh, reasonable generally and, uh, and love this hobby and love all different aspects of it and like meeting new people that have this sort of same mindset. And so, you know, a discord, a fan discord started that created a lot of games, you know, where people play online together and uh, the, the the fan created subreddit has created a lot of games. And now, you know, there's people that literally are my neighbors where I live now in New Jersey that are glass cannon fans that I didn't know before I moved here. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm in a game with this guy and this guy and this guy. And they were all glass cannon fans that we God, met online, great. you know, and just knowing that that sort of vibe is out there. Yeah. is such a wonderful feeling. Well, it's, it's so there's two things that are interesting to me about that, Joe, a lot of things, but I'll talk about two of them. Um, one, I'm not surprised, but it's really interesting how serious you guys took it the whole way. Um, and, and the reason I say that, and this is a compliment, I hope you take it as such. You guys appear to be just a bunch of people that have fun playing games, right? And you guys never seem That's to take... That's the illusion, Craig. Well, We're actually exactly. geniuses. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm being serious, Joe. Like, th like that's the persona and the feel, and that's part of the attraction, right? It's, it's what hooked me is like, these people are having so much goddamn fun. Like, <laughs> right. and, yeah. and, and they don't seem like they care about what they're doing, but they're not taking it too seriously. They're finding that real, real interesting line in contrast to from the beginning, like we got to think logos. We got to like, it's very interesting to me and, but not surprising when I see the trajectory, how that all worked out. The other thing that I find fascinating and 
is, and I've seen this in a few different places, um, and you saw it, was how your content curates your audience, which I think is fascinating. So you talk about like the first time that you really spent time with your audience at that bar, and you're like, holy shit, these are all just really cool people. And I'm starting to learn being part of other communities, building my little tiny community myself, like somehow I think the content we create curates that. And, and it, and it, but it is, it's a, it's a surprise. Like there's, you know, a couple podcasts that I'm part of their community is, as you know, uh, people that participate in it, but like every glass cannon person I come across as a fan, I'm like, she's, they, they have put together a really cool group of people. Mm-hmm. And, and do you agree, Joe? Do you think that the content curates that? Like you just attract a certain type Sure. Yeah. And I, and I think that uh, I'll take it a step further, which is to say that the content that we create is not so much a, a strategy uh, of how to attract, you know, these kind of people. And the content itself is very raw. It, it's, it's edgy and it's real and it's just us. There, there isn't a lot of, you know, we're not just putting sort of fake personas out there. Sure. It's Troy a little bit over, over the top about like being the most evil GM on the planet. Sure. You know, uh, am I a little over the top about being the unluckiest guy in the world on, on rolling dice? Sure. You know, do I know the actual math of dice? Yes. I know the actual math (laughs) of dice and you you just, you play up your role a little bit, but outside of that, the, the content that we create, um, you're right. We are always trying to strike that balance between, um, taking our content seriously, but not too seriously. Uh, Just being friends, having fun, and making everybody that's listening or watching feel like they're welcome and can be part of that fun, like they're at the table with us. That that vibe and that energy is something we try to recreate because it's it really comes back to the way it all started for me, which is it we are trying to recreate what happened to me and especially Troy as well. Uh, because Skid never stopped playing and Matthew hadn't played an RPG yet and Grant had only played video game RPGs. He had never played at a table with people. What Troy and I try to do is get across what we experienced, which was a gap of 20 years or so. And then as an adult, realizing that this could be such an amazing hobby among friends and and just sort of get that out there because it it uh it creates an energy that's fantastic and it just draws in people that want to be creative and laugh with their friends and know and know that sometimes you can be serious in the game and sometimes you can have great dramatic moments without taking yourself too seriously uh you can also be supportive of your friends in in their and their acting and they're performing even when they're bad you can just laugh with each other and you can lift them up and uh and say keep trying keep working i love what you're doing all that kind of stuff is is essential to the hobby and essential i think to what we're trying to curate and we we talk about it a lot in-house and as we talk more and more with other businesses this is something that is now frequent is is identifying ourselves uh to other businesses and what we do and, and who we are and we definitely highlight that we don't we don't really perform to an audience as much as a community and that that community is something that has we consider ourselves to be community builders we want to bring people in and show them you know friendships because i'll tell you those the after parties now at the live shows it it is it isn't as easy as it used to be to just stand with troy and chat with him for a while too many people want to talk to him yeah. but the people that just meet each other end up yeah. having so much fun at those after parties that they're like, 
this is the place to be for these live shows because even if I don't even talk to any of the guys in the show, it's worth it to be here just to meet other people in this community that you have so much you find out in common with. Because yeah, our voice is, it's a certain way. There's a lot of actual plays out there and our voice is different than a, than most of them, if not all of them, which is that that raw fun, that, that energy that is just, uh, you know... It's just um, we don't pull too many punches. And we're also really rough on each other in a fun way, the way <laughs> yeah. that, that people that are really close to each other can bust each other's chops. And so that is something that we do, you know, unabashedly. And it draws in people that are OK with that and that are into that kind of vibe. And so when you get all those kind of people together, it usually just ends up being a lot of fun. That's really cool. So, all right, all right. So we're we're watching the documentary on the Glass Cannon Network, right? And we're and of course we're about to go to go to commercial. And I can't wait for that day. We get the teaser, and the teaser says, "And that's when Joe got his wake up call." So when I come back from break, what would I see <laughs> after that? What it like if you think back and all this time, like, is there something? And it, and it could be anything, Joe. But were were you? Because I think it happens to a lot of us where we 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 something comes at us, something comes a part of what we're doing, and we go, "Whoa." Like, shit, like, I need to think about that. I need to, you know, and, and it, it, it changes what you do. Has that happened to you? Absolutely. And I'm glad that we got all this nice, fluffy, good stuff out up front, uh, <laughs> just so that we can get to the, I killed to the real stuff after the break <laughs> about how awful this is. This really is, Greg. <laughs> We'll see you after the break, <laughs> but uh, we're not going to literally take the break. So like when you, how, can you think of something that, uh, that you want to talk about? I'm sure there's shit you don't want to talk about, but is there a wake up call that you got at some point or something you would categorize um, as a wake up call? I wouldn't, I don't think wake up call is really the right term. It's, it's more like an, an evolution of all the things I had to learn that i never knew and all of the, uh, sort of risks I had to take. And so, so it, um, the things that I never knew are uh, I never had my own business. I, I never had a, a small business. I had a podcast. Uh, it was, uh, you know, a, a crappy little podcast. Actually, it was a pretty good little podcast, but it <laughs> uh, nobody listened to it. And so there was never any threat of money coming in, you know, that 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 threat of money coming in. And so once the, the Patreon was successful and we said, OK, we you know, we really want to do this. Uh, I had to create a business and it was going to really fall to me to do all of the nitty gritty paperwork, legal, financial end of things uh, to as far as startup goes. And so I leaned on uh, friends where I could, but it's so, I mean, talk about lessons learned. It's like you don't, one of the best things that you can avoid doing is uh, particularly with legal stuff is like having friends do do legal work for free for you because even though I've got great friends that are great lawyers uh they you don't want to ask a lawyer to actually do work for free because it's so much work and it's very intense and even if you think it's just like a small thing oh my buddies and I are going to do a podcast so we're just going to start a little business you don't want to start a flimsy business. You want to start a business that has an infrastructure or a foundation that has room to grow uh, just in case it does. And if it does, you want to be prepared for you know what the future brings. And that costs money. And you have to make sure that that initial investment is into yourself and into your own uh, structure so that it is strong. And so I ended up uh, on the recommendation of a friend applying to a law firm's 
um, emerging enterprise program, which was, you know, you had to apply and then get accepted as a, as a company that they thought was interesting and, uh, dynamic and different and could grow in whatever space they wanted to grow in. And they would invest in you by uh, giving you some pretty significant discounts on all the startup legal fees. And then, uh, you know, with the, and there's really no strings attached, but the idea is if that all goes well, you're going to stick with that law firm right. when you start right. growing. And then you're going to be paying re- real regular fees and retainers and all that kind of stuff uh, once you get larger. So we applied for it and, you know, a couple things got kicked back, you know, a guy who was probably because he was a friend of a friend was like, yeah, you might want to do this. I want to touch this up a little bit before I bring it to people. And so uh, we made some adjustments and never lied about anything. It's just all the way that you present everything. And we ended up getting accepted into this program, which was really exciting. Um, but I learned so much about how deep it goes. I mean, for yeah. months we were working on this and the lawyer sent me, you know, a, a, a 58 page document, which was just basically the starter agreement of the company. And I'm just like, so then I got to give it to my five buddies. I just played Pathfinder with and be like, Hey, five guys that don't have a lawyer either. Like I don't, you know, why don't you read this contract? I mean, I get, I get sick inside when I watch, like, uh, when I watched the social network and like, you know, there's that moment where, uh, forget both the actor and the characters or Andrew Garfield, his character, you know, there's that moment where he's like, I thought they were my lawyers, you know, and I'm fearful that like, this is what everybody else is going to think. They're going to think that like, I'm bringing them this lawyer who's really just going to go to bat for me in this corporate contract. Oh my God. And so it was, it's very stressful. And, um, you know, you don't even want to, when you're friends, it's kind of hard to even say like, I want my lawyer to look at this or I want to get a lawyer to look at this for myself, just for my peace of mind, because even saying it to a friend can be that friend can take it as so you don't trust me. You just think I'm going to try to steal from you. It's it's a very tenuous situation where, you know, you want to make sure everybody feels safe and protected, but you also don't want to. Of course, I mean, speaking for myself, I'm not trying to get anything over on anybody, uh, but like, and you don't want people thinking that that's what, you know, what you want and everything. And so it's, it's just a difficult, uh, difficult time and a difficult experience and takes a, a long time and it takes a good chunk of money to do it. But I'm very, very glad that we did it because we did it right. And, and that was, that was really the biggest thing. So the money that we initially made on Patreon for an entire year, we never pocketed any of it and it all went into, uh, saving basically for when we would start spending it because we weren't going to start spending it until every I was dotted and every T was crossed in our legal agreement. And then I also wanted these lawyers, these startup lawyers to explain to me, you know, how the taxes were working. So they, well, you have to get an accountant. So then I went and got an accountant that I trusted. And the accountant was very helpful with explaining, you know, well, if you want to get a piece of artwork, you know, if you want to pay a contractor that's in Finland, you know what I mean? That that's a that's different than getting a contractor that's in Michigan and and how the taxes work and how the fees work, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it I have had to learn so much. And so then then we go on tour and it's like <laughs> you have to pay taxes in each state that you where you made money. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I'm like 
wait, do, do these bands do this? These like crappy little bands, like our crappy little show that tour these little rock clubs, like they, how do they afford this? Like they got to get these accountants to do all this expensive tax work in every city, you know, that they go in. And then I found out, and I think that this is correct. I could be wrong. But I remember reading this a couple of years ago and I was deep diving into it that like baseball players have to pay taxes in a city they play in. So like their game check is taxed like for a city that they play and stuff like that. I was fascinated. I was like, and that was really, uh, I guess you could say it was a wake up call, but I guess, yeah, let, let's put it this way. The wake up call that I got was in college, I studied uh, marketing and it was because it was BS. I didn't really care what I studied in college because I just wanted to do the fun stuff, which I was in, um, I was uh, on a full ride in college to do competitive speech and debate. So I talk about being a geek. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a big geek and I uh, I just did it in high school and I I came from a family that did not have money for college. I was the first person in my family to, to go to college and it was like, it's a free ride. So I was like, I'm going. Well, that was really intense. I was in a school that was a top 10 competitor in the country and that meant I was traveling every weekend. Uh, I was practicing 30 hours a week. <laughs> I mean, it was wild how much it like took away from my academics, but like did enough academics to keep my scholarship and then I wanted to stay really really competitive on the circuit. So I did so much work in that. So at the end of it I, I did marketing because it's easy. Yeah. But now looking back, thank I'm God. Just, I'm very much so. Well, no, because I'm like Everything I learned in marketing is useless now. It's, it's useless <laughs> because like how of how drastically, you know, the, the digital world has changed <laughs> since I went to college. Uh, right. Not to mention that, like, I wasn't very good at it at the time, so I didn't really learn much. Oh, that's I funny. think I could have learned so much more if I would have studied finance or accounting. And at the time, I was like, oh, my God, I will not do that with my life. That will be so boring. I'm not going to be an accountant. What a joke, you know. And now I'm like, all I wish I did was use those years to study that because it's just math. Like marketing is such a stupid, nebulous thing <laughs> that is like, you know, and don't get me wrong. I had great professors at, at my college that, that weren't actually professors. They were actually like, my college was very into this uh, marketing thing. And so they would, they were all adjunct, C, uh, like former CEOs, former CFOs and stuff like that. So I, I was taught very well, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's so creative. And I'm just, I don't consider myself a very creative person. When I get into crunching numbers, I, I love it. And so now looking back, I'm like, I wish I learned more accounting and finance because that's where I'm at now is I'm trying to parse uh, apart how all the money works and how it all moves. And when I figure out how the government is getting my taxes from the 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 national to the state to the local level, to the locals, yeah, I actually find it interesting because I'm I'm like, okay, how are they getting their cut? Because they're never going to not get their cut, right? They're going to be like, give me my piece, and so it's it's how and how do you get around it, and what rules let you get around it, and why uh, is is all very interesting to me. So I I was behind the curve on that. That was the big wake up call. It's like I had a lot to learn. Uh, in that in that territory. And it's not a lot of fun. And uh, it took away from my I was playing a lot less games than I thought I'd be. I'll, yeah. say, that, I'll say that if I say you play games for a living full time. I thought I'd be playing more games you know, and doing less paperwork. 
Well, you have validated me, Joe, because um, I work for one of the big three accounting firms and I, oh, okay. I'm fascinated by it, too. And I had you told me in college, this is what I would be doing, you know, <laughs> being fascinated by state laws and, you know, you know, <laughs> the number of days you have to work in New York before you have to pay taxes in New York yes, and stuff like yes, that. Exactly. But, but yeah. what's cool about it, and I thought about this, I'm like, why do I enjoy my job so much? Because I never thought I would. It's because I always like to read the rules in every game I played. Like when I played a game, I wanted to be the guy that knew the rules. I would read the rule book. And if we're going to play a new RPG, give me the book. I need to digest it all. I need to know it because that then I can have fun. Then I can enjoy things when I know the structure. And it's I think it's similar. I, I agree. I, I really loved delving into rules, into the math of the rules, yeah. especially in Pathfinder, which is obviously an evolution of uh, 3.5. I'm still learning second edition. I'm still very new into second edition, but to learning how the numbers impact other numbers or what you would call uh, derived statistics in games like uh, that Free League makes and stuff like that, uh, like you were talking about earlier. I love that kind of stuff. It's like, okay, this is a base number that then affects all these other things in different ways. Uh, I, I enjoy that so much. I like crunchy systems. I, I enjoy them thoroughly. But the irony being that I have started to, and maybe it's because I'm doing so much of this crunchy stuff as part of the the work of of being a, a COO for the Glass the COO for the Glasscan Network. It's like I am gravitating so much more towards lower lower rules, uh, heavier role play games these days. I'm just really enjoying I'm them. Saying. And when I was first starting back in my late twenties, I was like. I am not trying to get together and uh, improv with a bunch of actors. Right. Like that's not my idea of a good time. I work with actors all day. Like what I want to do is just get on a grid and fight monsters and try to dodge their spells and move around and whatever. And so, uh, but now that's, that's changing. It's evolving as I've uh, played more and more with different people. Uh, I have, and I'll tell you stream of blood and Jared Logan were a huge eye opener to me uh, in, in along with blades in the dark. Cause I, I met those two things at the same time. That was a huge eye opener for me for the potential of role playing, even with people I didn't know that well. Uh, if you are guided by a really strong system and you can have a lot of fun with it and, and not take yourself too seriously. And I mean, I had so much fun. I was like, I, this is something I want to do more of. So, so yeah, that's the irony. As much as I love it, I, I'm right now. I'm definitely in for the flavor of the month, like heavier role playing uh, games and less mechanics. I, I thought I thought GURPS was the be all end all for me, which it doesn't get much <laughs> crunchier than that. Right. And the same thing happened to me, Joe, when I came back, like I just realized that you don't have to have that. And it's OK to like that. Right. But so we're not saying that's bad, but there's so much there's so much other things to do it. And, and the curated game like Blades in the Dark. So Blades in the Dark is very specific. You're going to play this type of game. You're going to be this type of character and it's going to be this type of world, um, which is very different than GURPS or Champions or things like that. And and I, I'm gravitating that direction, too. That's very, very interesting. So now that we understand where the Glass Cannon Network kind of came from, the origin story, um, and it was uh, it was revealing and unsurprising at the same time, Joe. So that was really, really good. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about kind of the reality of the day-to-day of what Joe does and what the rest of the guys and gals do. And we're going to talk about how actual play broadcasting your game changes how you play. We'll be right back. This is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content that you're listening to 
right now for free. That pitch man explains by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we refuse to interrupt your episode of Tabletop Talk with such time-wasting pleas. We pledge never to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month because supporting content creators keeps the content coming. Even if there is a link in the show's description, and there is, we don't ask you to click it and become a patron. We don't waste time rambling about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting episodes without ad breaks like this, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode knowing Tabletop Talk, despite being supported by its patrons, won't engage in such blatant appeals for support. So, Joey, I feel like we kind of touched on this a little bit. I feel like you pulled the curtain back a little bit, which is great. And my listeners really enjoy that. But, you know, you watch you guys on the screen, right? And we listen to you on our podcatchers. And, you know, we think, boy, greatest, greatest job in the world, right? All these guys do is play freaking Pathfinder and Morkborg and, you know, <laughs> Jesus, like, you know, as I'm, as I'm going through trying to, you know, try to get this company to save $4 million on their uh, New York state taxes, right? I'm like, God, I want to do what they do. But, but, but I know that, that, that it's different, right? And you touched on it, you know, with like, it's, it's just, it's not what people think. So um, if someone like followed you for a week, so you got an intern and they followed Joe for a couple weeks, mm-hmm. what would the intern say when they got home? from uh working with you going holy shit i didn't know what joe did oh man yeah i I think that they would say you are so lucky to be playing with the people that you're playing with uh and i wish that that was more of the week (laughs) and that most of the week is wildly boring and tedious um so a a big part of what i do is uh patreon fulfillment uh that you know that is really a a big aspect of it which is part of the patreon is that you have rewards you know for for people and as ours has grown which has been wonderful uh we have a lot of responsibilities to fulfill in that area uh there's the content area but then there's the kind of just straight up physical goods discount codes uh the 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 merch store in general so uh, i do all the merch fulfillment for us uh we we do outsource a decent amount of the apparel and stuff the gaming supplies i outsource i mean i've got and I've got an inventory in, in my house. You could probably see stacks of boxes <laughs> and shipping bubbles and stuff over here. Uh, we also, um, through the Patreon, we have physical goods that we send out. And uh, and so that is uh, something for the first time uh, this year. Uh, this year, I we brought on an employee who uh, has been working with me to to help me with that. Nice. And uh, I'm sort of still in the training process of, of moving some of that off my plate. Uh, but that is a decent chunk of time, and that is collecting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of addresses, and and God. you know, um, you know, just literally stuffing envelopes. My wife and I would just spend entire evenings for an entire week, every night, just watching TV and stuffing things in envelopes, sealing and and labeling, sealing. And labeling. And then I walk over to the post office with a whole bunch of bags and hope that they don't say, "Get the hell out of here." No um, shit. 
so, you know, that, that fulfillment is, uh, and, you know, Patreon at a certain point started offering, you know, the, the opportunity to, for them to, to fulfill for you and stuff like that, but it's expensive. They're like, yeah, you can do it. We'll, we'll do it for a cut, like a large cut of your entire right. Patreon. And it's like, nah, it's not worth it. We'll just, we'll just keep doing it now while we can, uh, you know, until we scale beyond that. Um, I think that they would see, uh, how much time goes into, how much more time goes into production than into playing a game. I mean, there's so much more of that. And I'm speaking for all of us now. Uh, you know, that's Grant who does a whole lot of the technical production. And obviously Troy as the main GM of most of the shows is doing so much creative writing and thinking and planning and map making and all that kind of stuff behind the scenes, hours and hours and hours and hours that go into to each thing. We don't start, you know, we don't hit record on these shows and just wing it. You know, that, that's really not something that, that happens uh, in general. Troy is very meticulous about the way he approaches this stuff and it takes so many hours to, to do it right. Um, yeah. So, so, the production end and then the operations end, which is largely what I do, take up most of the time. And then, uh, you know, budgeting for the future, you know, plans for shows that are coming up, things that are in the pipeline. Uh, what's it going to cost to do X, Y or Z? Uh, making sure that that money is going to be there, projecting profits, you know, figuring out how to do healthcare, figuring out, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, what merchandise to even put in the store and, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, what companies to work with for that. And, you know, there's a lot of those uh, decisions. Overall, I would say we're pretty transparent, though. Like, I think people that are close to us in terms of our uh, our community, people that listen to everything that we do, and there are a decent amount of them uh, and, and listen to Cannon Fodder every week. I've got a talk back show just like this every week where I host and I do interviews of just the people within our network, our immediate sphere. And we just talk about the games and the insider and all that kind of stuff. The people that listen to all that are probably going to pick up all of this that I'm talking about. They know how much work goes into this and uh, they're very appreciative of it, which is, which is awesome. Uh, you know, casting is another really big one. Casting, yeah, that's where I was headed, Joe. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. Casting is one that is, has been for us just brutally difficult, uh, just an incredibly difficult uphill battle because it's so I think dangerous. The best way to describe it is just think about how hard it is to just find somebody to play Pathfinder with. In person, right. okay. Yep. Now, now find somebody to play Pathfinder with, who is uh, a performer or can be a skilled performer, uh, and is available whenever you need them to play this <laughs> yeah. game. Not on their schedule, but on your schedule, and and that's got to be now with us. It's like during the day, you know what I mean. So you pretty much have to eliminate people with day jobs, and then um, somebody that that. I don't know. I guess I, I'm this chemistry. is already implied in. Yeah. Well, the chemistry is, uh, I mean, that's just already so, so difficult. But I'm talking about even just the basics of wrapping your head around somebody who, who really knows RPGs. They don't have to be excellent at every game, but in a lot of ways, they either have to have years immersed in the hobby or they had to be introduced to it in childhood. So even if they took a long time off, if they're introduced to it in childhood, they, they get the basic concepts. My, my The best way that we describe it sort of in-house when we joke about it is the rule books that put out, every rule book that comes out is right in the beginning, it's what is a rule book? What is an RPG? Game, right? yeah. they, they have to lay that out because it's actually really hard to explain to the uninitiated. And so uh, our casting process has been 
really, really tough to, to pinpoint that. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that I was an agent in New York for 15 years. And <laughs> it's what you used to I, do for a living, Joe. <laughs> it, and I'm telling you, this is harder than anything I had ever worked on because no like, we would get casting requests all the time. And I mean, this is like, uh, I would get a request for like, uh, like a, uh, an Indian born actor <laughs> who was raised in the UK but who lives in New York and is a U.S. citizen so they can be paid properly and can rap. Like that would literally be a casting call and I would find a handful of people, you know, you know, but you could find a handful of people. And that is, is easier to me than finding an RP. And I'm not saying they're not out there. I know that they're out there, but it's just so hard to find them because like they don't use the traditional roots. Um, oh, here's a good like insider thing. We were, I say blackballed, that's sort of like a strong term, but blacklisted. We were sort of, um, we weren't allowed to present on one of the largest online casting networks in New York City that is specifically for non-union projects. That You know what oh, I mean? This wow. is not, we weren't, we weren't looking for like a big deal thing. We right. were looking for actors that sort of troll this site, looking for opportunities. And in fact, we were on there once which is uh, how we found a couple of our uh, actors that we still work with now. Um, but as we went to expand again, you know, and keep looking, we got denied. And we were like, what? And we went into it and they, you know, I had these these emails back and forth with people that were just adamant that like we could not uh, do something that was unscripted. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like so many people do unscripted stuff. They They were like, oh, we're familiar with this like actual play space. And we are no longer allowing our actors to audition for it. And from an agent's perspective, a former agent's perspective, I believe it's because they're trying to protect actors from being hired for very, very low rates to use their own personality and their own their own name and everything and then create character and create story. You know what I mean? all while getting paid less than somebody does just to like get a role and just read the role. So I sort of somewhat understood where they were coming from, but I also was like, why don't you just let them make the choice? Exactly. We can, be very, That's where, yeah. we can be very clear about what we want. And the people that get it are the only people that we want to see anyway. People that know what RPG entertainment is and want to be involved in an actual play podcast, they know what they're getting into and they're going to want to do this. Like it's a lot of fun for, for these people. And so, and if they don't want to do it, they don't have to. That's that's fine. crazy. They still just no, 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 no. And it interesting. It became so hard, which is why uh, it is. I am so happy for the people we have found. We are incredibly lucky in those we have found, uh, and and the pandemic has been helpful in in showing us how to work from home. And so we've been able to cast people that aren't in New York, which has been wonderful. We've met some great people that way. Uh, if you've ever seen our show, New Game Who Dis, which is a, a live stream that we do every Wednesday night where we try new games, we've been able to expand those casts greatly. And that has been uh, just a thrill. So yeah, the re oh, and then I, I don't actually do this. Troy does this right now, but the booking of those uh, guests Hours and hours and hours of work and a lot of stress to match up all these busy, you know, working adults schedules to, to fit even a three episode arc uh, is a lot of work and takes hours of work to do. So, yeah, 
it, it's <laughs> there, there's a lot of these difficulties, but uh, I think in, in some ways uh, we've been we've been so lucky. Uh, and then the only other thing I'll say is don't underestimate how difficult it is to do good audio and video. Yeah, it uh, is. I, I've been doing it for years, years and years and years, and I'm still nowhere near an expert. This is why people go to school for it. It's why there's master's degrees for it. It is a very difficult profession. And uh, we're just very lucky that Troy spent a lot of years shooting video. Uh, Grant spent a lot of years shooting video because video to me is like magic. It's truly like when you talk about a sci-fi game, that's like, oh, we don't really know the difference between technology and magic. Like that is how I think about how a camera lens works. I don't, I thought that it was just you pointed at something and you turned it on. I had no idea the detail to which things need to be massaged. If it's a sunny day out versus a cloudy day versus, you know, this light versus that light, you know, the cool versus warm versus whatever. It's unbelievable how complicated it is. And that I don't even touch it. I don't do it at all. And I haven't had to learn that much about it, thankfully, <laughs> because we've got a good team. But it's, it's amazing how much has to go into those details to make it look good. It, it's way harder than you expect. So one thing that, so I was fascinated to hear about, you know, expanding beyond the circle, which you just covered with casting, but you guys recently have done something even larger, which is to expand out for who's running games. Hmm. And I'd be curious yeah. to know, like, how big of a decision, it appears to me as a consumer to have been a huge decision to make. Um, and a huge, you know, a huge risk, right? You know what's working. You know that when these these people run games, people like it. And now you're you're expanding outside of that. So I was wondering how that decision came together. And is it something that's been brewing for a while? Or is it just a matter of finding the right people? It's a matter of, of becoming coming face to face with the realities of scaling is is a long process. Um, it's, it's a learning process. And you can't continue to grow and still do every single thing. You have to, at some point, you have to pass things on. And, uh, you know, there was a time early on, I can remember, where Troy, somebody asked us to, um, a very nice person who still is a listener to the show, asked us to come up uh, upstate New York to to do a convention, uh, to do a live show. And this is before we had ever done that first live show. We were only within our first two years of doing the show, doing the podcast. And um, we turned it down uh, because Troy's like, we're not ready to be live. We, you know what I mean? Like our podcast is edited for a reason. I like to tighten it up. I like to pull out the jokes that don't that fall flat, you know, whatever. We're not ready to do that. That eventually evolved, you know, until it became, we became so used to each other and we became, and it became a, a legitimate source of revenue and growth is like, okay, let's, let's start experimenting with that. And there were, we were nervous, but you know, we, and we had our little flops and foibles, certainly not an entire show. I don't think there's ever been like a, a slow show on the road. But there's been moments where it's just like we could have done that better. We could have yeah. done this better. And we, we've we've gotten better with time. And I think that that is really what has informed our time on the road is what has informed our new game who display that sort of live play where we just keep the action even on a new game, even where we don't know the rules and we can't just really just stop and read. We have to keep it going somehow. We have to keep it entertaining. And that has been a really fun exercise to, to do. Um what was your initial question? I'm sorry. Uh, new, uh, bringing in new GMs. Oh, new GMs. Yeah. So it's just the reality of, of scaling. It's just Troy just didn't have the time at a certain point to GM that many games. And so uh, he definitely knew that he loved Skid as a GM. Skid actually GM'd the first live show. The first live oh, show no at shit. that game store was GM'd by Skid. Oh, yeah. that's funny. And, and he's Troy so good. Was, and Troy was a player. Oh, Skid's wonderful. 
Uh, and it was good too, because I remember it being like a invest. It was a bit of an investigation. I think there was a wedding involved and he played every <laughs> character at the wedding and he was hilarious. Um, and then, yeah. And, and then going outside of the immediate uh, founders of the network to GM is also a relatively new decision. We had Jared Logan, GM uh, Vampire the Masquerade. That was because we worked with him enough uh, in Blades in the Dark that we trusted that he was going to bring uh, the energy we like, the kind of vibe we like to the game and run it in a style that that we connect to. And that really uh, went well. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed their vampire game. I didn't even play in it. Uh, which was awesome in some ways and not awesome in others. I wish I could have played <laughs> sure. it, but I just, it was great to have that time off. Um, yeah. So, and that is going to continue to expand. Uh, we are, um, we're in the, in the process now of, of developing an entire show that none of us are on. We're, we're not the GM and no player comes from the network. So that show uh, should release later this year. And so, there's, you know, th that's the only way that you can grow and you have to just come to come to terms with those realities. Yeah. And, and I would imagine, Joe, scary and exciting at the same time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just to get new personalities running stuff, to get new voices on the network is a priority and is so awesome and so exciting. Well, and, and it's it's very obvious the amount of respect you have for the work that you do in the audience and the community you've gathered. And that that's where the scary part is, right? Because you're you're each time you're putting that at risk. Each time you bring a new game in, you're putting that potentially at oh, risk. Oh man. I mean, we just had a recent episode of the Glass Cannon Podcast. It's episode like two hundred and eighty-six or something like that, where Troy opens the show and he's just like, I, I don't even want to do this. I don't even want to do this. And he's just being very honest about how stressed he gets every episode because he wants to deliver every episode to the audience so that it's just a home run every single time. And he's like, I don't even want to start because I'm nervous. It won't get there. And he's like, I know it's going to work out. I know every time it gets at least close. And, uh, and so I just have to jump in and start, but he, we're joking because it takes him sometimes 45 minutes, an hour to even just get when we're all in the studio. He's just like, oh, let me just look something else up. And he's just stalling because he's nervous about starting. Uh, and then Skid chimes right in and he's like, you see, that's the difference between how the games you run on the network and the games I run. Uh, he's like, I don't really care. <laughs> he's like, I don't care if they're good. I just GM my games. If people don't like it, they don't have to listen. That's cool. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So, Joe, um, you know, when you guys started doing the new game, Who Dis, um, uh, we all we, I felt like we got to see real time. <clears throat> excuse me. We, we got to see real time. You, Troy, and everybody else finding new games. Right. And yeah. discovering things like the world is bigger than we thought it was before. Yeah. So I'd be curious, like, what are you gronking right now? And it doesn't have to be something necessarily you're doing on the network or even something you've played yet. Is there something out there that like you're just like, shit, this is this is exciting. I love Blades. Yeah. I love the Forged in the Dark uh, system. I'm starting to look into Scum and Villainy now, and I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. Band of Blades. Band of Blades looks amazing. I I think it's my favorite game that I have found uh, since in the last year. I think it's beautifully elegant, and I like the setting. And I was never a huge fan. I've never been a big steampunky guy. I've never been a big, like... Oh, adventures in, you know, Victorian London sort of vibe. And uh, John Harper, who I know has been on this show, uh, has created 
such a fantastic experience that has spoken to so many people. There is so much incredible fan generated stuff out there that is on their official website, which is wonderful. The community creating adventure ideas, adventure hooks, creating NPC builds, uh, even creating like detailed maps of the, of the neighborhoods down to every street, every building and stuff. It's uh, the city has come to life for me. And uh, and so but yeah, beyond that is the elegance of the mechanics. I don't think I've any, ever played anything quite like it. I love this, the 12 skills and that's bam, that's it. It covers every aspect of the game. And I love the player driven uh, idea of that, which is you pick what you want to roll and it puts the onus in the player's hands to be an honest player and to be a fair player. It doesn't leave everything to do the GM all the time to be the arbiter of fairness. It's like it just let the player do it. And if they want to play an unfair game, you know, that's just OK. You can do that. Fine. Um, otherwise, I'm I'm deeply immersed right now as we are preparing for a Dune RPG show. I just uh, interviewed the guy who created that. Oh, yeah. How, how crazy are the mechanics in that game? Yeah, they're they're wild. And I did not play. So we featured Star Trek, which is also Medivius. The Star Trek Adventures RPG was featured and Skid ran that. I did not play in that. That featured the 2D20 system. And so this is my first foray into it. I've literally got the book sitting next to me here because I'm working on it. And just reading that book, it's a beautiful book. It's incredibly well done. And it's pretty chunky. It, it is. It, it is pretty chunky. But what I love about it is that the chunk is all designed to create strong narrative it isn't designed to not that anything's designed to inhibit narrative but it doesn't happen to inhibit narrative it is designed specifically to create complicated situations which could you think of a better way to present the dune universe than everything being so complicated and everything having complications and and nothing being easy and it's just uh it's just really well done so uh, i'm loving that and i can't wait to, to play that in earnest uh if i even do i don't know like you know the the process of casting that game and stuff is oh now we're in a stage where we never know if we're actually going to be on the shows we're preparing we just sort of prepare them and then we say all right is there room and does it fit my availability and everything like that uh but we're having a lot of t uh, fun digging into it uh we recently did a test game and we had a lot of fun it was uh one of the rare times i actually get to roll dice and not be on air and so that was that was really neat uh so yeah th those two stick out to me but I played Alien, which I know uh, you are. You like the Free League stuff, and Alien, I loved. I ran it on New Game Who Disc. Yeah, it was and great. I loved it. I love. Thank you very much. I loved how it made the combats encounters feel exactly like the Alien. Isn't movies. it inc they it's were incredible? So fast, so brutal, <laughs> and so deadly. I was just like, this is this is exactly what it's it does what it's meant to do, which is always when you know a mechanic is singing. You know, a, a game system is singing. Well, it's so easy to I mean, when I first came across and heard about the alien RPG, I was like, I have zero, zero interest in this game. I, I've seen the movies. I know the story. I know how it ends. And like, yeah, I might take elements of aliens and put it into some of my other games. But to, to play aliens, no interest whatsoever. And then I saw a couple, a couple of actual plays. I'm like, ah, screw it. I'll buy the damn thing. So I, I buy the damn thing and I start reading. I'm like, I cannot fucking wait to run this game. Like, <laughs> it, 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 like you just said, it, it's like you are in the movies 
you're there yes. and everything is built around it the the ulterior motives the the stress dice and how you you amp up on the stress die it's just like goddamn yeah, it I love how people it, and they make it, good how games. this yeah and how that those stress die can make you better at what yeah. you're doing but they can also make you worse exactly. like uh the and and the other thing i would say is it depends on who you're playing with because if you can get a group together that is familiar with the entire Aliens universe, but isn't going to be like, I need a Xenomorph or why else am I playing this game? If you have people that are like, I would play an adventure in the Alien universe without a, without a single Xenomorph in it for five or six sessions where it's, you know, a, a part of, a, you know, a battle between two companies or two nations or whatever uh, for some like a piracy issue or something. Right. It's like. You could play that game and it would be so the firefights would be so interesting with the mechanics They, you know, and you could do it. You just need a group that's open minded enough to say, I want to explore that setting and these mechanics with real feeling characters and not necessarily have a xenomorph. And if you're loving the game after the first little mission or whatever, right, your first job. It's like, okay, now maybe we do a job and it's <laughs> yeah. got a xenomorph or something. And then you sort of like put the game down for a while or whatever. Uh, that's what I saw when I read it was like, there is so much potential here for a game that isn't just the story of alien or just the story of aliens. There is, there's so many stories that could, that could be played out of that game. And it's an interesting trend we're seeing right now, Joe, with, with RPGs and we're seeing it with free league and with Modiphius with the 2d 20. So you play 2d 20 in star Trek, you play it in um, Dune and you play it in Conan and the heart of it's the same. But it's it's each one is tweaked to the experience. Each one is curated and carved to be this is Conan. This is Star Trek. This is Dune. Same thing Free League's doing with the Mutant Zero engine, which is what Aliens is built off of um, a game that I love, which is um, something that I've been like dying. Like I've, I've almost like packaged, bought this game and just sent it to you because like it's a game I know I know you're going to love. It doesn't mean you'll ever use it, but I just like I know I want Joe to read this game. Because I, I feel like I've learned like what you grok, it's Forbidden Lands, which is another lands, Forbidden Lands from Free League. And okay. uh, so similar to Alien, right? Someone says, you know, Craig, you need to check out Forbidden Lands. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know what I need? I need one more fantasy game because I don't there's not enough of those. So please, <laughs> right. please, please. Oh, it's got elves and dwarves. Fantastic. Let's do that. That sounds great. I haven't seen that before. <laughs> get, I get the books, start reading it. And I'm like, holy shit. This is incredible. And then and part of, and they were saying to me, it's a hex crawl. And I'm like, I could be I couldn't be less interested <laughs> until you said hex crawl. And now I'm even less interested. <laughs> like, you somehow got yeah, me to be less exactly. interested than I was after your first sentence. And now, like when my when my players go from one hex to another, I'm like, let's fucking go. This is going to be awesome. It's, you're going to love it, Joe. So at some point, grab it. If you liked aliens, you're you're familiar with the engine. And I, th I think you'll I think you'll dig it. And like I said, I'll if you never it play it, just reading it. You're like, I'm, I'm getting the vibe that we read stuff and get excited about the same stuff. I just I got to sneak in suspicion. So, OK, uh, you, okay. you've got homework now. How exciting is that to wait, waste an hour and a half with me? And Thank get you fucking for homework. that. Sure. <laughs> Craig. Right. Well, after you spent 90 minutes talking about how much free time you have. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, oh, that's great. Well, speaking of which, Joe, I cannot thank you enough, man. It, um, you could very easily have said no. Um, Craig, I don't want to talk to your four listeners, but you said yes. And I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and uh, thanks for coming on. So real quick, Joe, obviously, I'm going to link into the notes to everything Glass Cannon. Um, if somebody wants more Joe, where should they go? Uh, you should follow me on Twitter. I'm at Joe O'Brien's brain. 
uh, on Twitter. Uh, that's O'Brien with an E. So at Joe O'Brien's Brain on Twitter, you can follow me. I, I uh, you know, mostly post just kind of news insights and insider stuff for the Glass Cannon Network and all the the happenings there. Um, if you want to check out our podcast, the the flagship show is called appropriately enough the Glass Cannon Podcast. Uh, you can find that wherever you find your podcasts. And uh, I recommend starting at episode one. Uh, there's an intro now to episode one, which was not there initially. That sort of is a look back from where we we have gotten to. It also explains you know some of the tougher things you realize which is when we first started uh we played the game uh a little rougher than uh we uh than we realized was probably appropriate for broadcasting you know Interesting. Uh, because there's a complication that comes when you are and i know sorry i'm, I'm extending a little bit here but th- i just wanted to mention this there's a complication that comes with broadcasting your game versus playing at home, uh, which is the safe table uh, dynamic. When you're playing with your table, you want to make sure that everybody's comfortable with a certain level of content and the things that you're going to do. And there's no shortage of RPGs out there that are gruesome and brutal and have a lot of really uh, rough content in there and things that people uh, that uh, might, you know, make people upset and, and, and trigger certain people. And so you want to make sure that that's all clear at your table. Yeah. Well, the fact is that can be all clear at your table, but if you're going to do a show, <laughs> you now have to account for all p- human beings that might listen to that show. And that's a very hard thing to I do. Bet. And uh, it's something that we got more sensitive to over time. And we developed and evolved the show in such a way that uh, I think it's it's way better now than it used to be. But there are some rough moments in those early shows. And that's something that we address in the in the first episode, which that's is great. You know, this was recorded at a time when we didn't even know anybody would be listening to yeah. this. And uh, but now we now that we know people are listening we're a little bit more careful about how we approach that content. So uh, just know that if you started episode one of the Glass Cannon <laughs> podcast. Uh, new Game Who Dis is our live. Uh, um, we try out new games. Uh, it, it's broadcast every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Twitch. Friday nights at 8 p.m. on Twitch, we have Androids and Aliens, which is our science fiction Starfinder show, uh, which is uh, an absolute blast. Huge cast on that. We have a rules lawyer in-house on that one, which is really fun. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is, is our tour. We're getting back. You know, we're I know, getting back dude. now, uh, now that, uh, we can, it feels like we're going to be safe in these smaller venues. And, and, uh, you know, as long as people are vaccinated, we really would love you to come out. Uh, we will be in Atlanta during Dragon Con. We will be in Indianapolis during Gen Con. We'll That's be in great. Columbus during Origins doing live shows at rock venues in Indy. We're going to be at Helium, which is a, a great comedy club in Indianapolis. So That's awesome. we, we urge you to check us out uh, there. Even if you've never seen anything we've done, you come to one of these live shows if you're at the con and you are going to have an absolute blast. I guarantee it. Uh, you can find out information on that at glasscannonnetwork.com slash tour. Uh, Beautiful. If you want to look up how to get tickets and stuff. And everybody can scroll down right now, and I have links to all of that. Um, I appreciate it, man. My pleasure. All right. And those of you that stuck around all the way to the end, I appreciate you too. Thanks for listening. Take care. this episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floorheads still here? Wow. Um, 
well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway, thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.